Hello everyone, welcome back to a very, very, very special bonus episode of Uncanny Treks, where we take a pause on the two great 90s space station shows, Babylon 5 vs. Star Trek DS9, and we ponder not only Star Trek Lower Decks, not only the end of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, but the mid-season premiere of Star Trek Prodigy, and the number one issue of a new Star Trek show, one end, two beginnings on this bonus episode. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. How the hell are you doing tonight, Matt? Doing all right. Small correction there, Bob. The last thing was a comic book, not a show. Don't get too excited, folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that good. All good things must come to an end and then begin again. Uh, that did make me groan when I read it. <laughs> All right, Bob, so let's just go ahead and break into this here. We're going to start with Lower Decks. Yeah, so it's Stars at Night, which uh, aired uh, two days ago, the 27th of October, uh, 2022. You want to walk us through the A-plot of the Season 3 finale of Lower Decks, Matt? Sure, Bob. So in the A-plot, Captain Freeman challenges the Aledo to a race to determine who should be the bottom feeder of the fleet. Indeed. And in the B-plot, Mariner gets to the bottom of who's funded the Archaeologist Guild. Ooh, big secret. Dun, dun, dun. So uh, Rutherford heard about their upcoming uh, automation from a Falusian. Have you heard of them, Matt? Yeah, uh, I sadly knew this because there was a reference to the to the episode this occurs in the uh, TOS cartoon in season two of episode of, in a season two episode of Lower Decks. Was that the one with the the instructor who splits in three? I think so. It's the one you see like Spock's dead body at one point. Like it's like skeleton skeletal remains and like a blue uh, science uniform. Oh. Yeah, it's, okay, it's a weird. A it's a weird reference thing. to it. Isn't that the one where like Spock grows like really big or some some weird shit? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a different episode then. Yeah, that's the that's the one that was written by Walter Coing because Gene Roddenberry and Leonard Nimoy wanted the whole voice crew to come back, but Paramount played hardball with them and would only let them would get let him have everybody back except for Walter Coing, and so uh, <laughs> Roddenberry threw the poor guy like a screenplay to at least get him some money. Nice. Okay, so but the Philosian are like. I remember what they look like, and I assume they're walking, but since they're plants, maybe they're not walking, but I assume they're walking, talking like plant people. They are, yeah. They, yeah. Little, little shop of horrors type shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting that they, they intentionally in, equate the Texas class with drones, you know? I thought that was kind of wild. Yeah, they're kind of making some like social commentary here, Bob. I have this feeling that's what they're going for. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I always have kind of like mixed feelings about that because on the one hand, like, you know, like all war is bad. I don't think war is like less bad when it's done by uh, people versus when it's done by, you know, things that are video game controlled from, a you know, an air, air conditioned bunker in the desert. But I don't know. It's eh. <laughs> drones certainly are kind of scary. We're sort of seeing that in the Russia Ukraine war. They're trying to take that human component out of the war, except for the people that are killed, Bob. Not the people doing the killing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I don't, I don't complain when we automate other crappy jobs. I don't think the automation is the problem. I think it's that the job is murder is the problem. Yeah. Well, how about, what about this, Bob? What if they, what if the government was secretly, like, putting the controls for these drones in our video games and all the kids who are playing these video games are actually killing real people on the other side of the world? I mean, I think, I think the video games are already making the kids psychopathic, Matt, so I don't really think it would be that big a difference, to be honest with you. Not video games, Bob. TikTok. TikTok is making kids psychopathic. 
I think the kids were, I'm not saying TikTok is helping, but I think they were already psychopathic before. Yeah. As a psychoanalyst, I was listening to an interview with last night, Matt said, I'm not saying it's the phones, but it is also the phones. It's totally the phones. My whole life is different than it was before the phone. It's, it's the phone. It's also like the felt sense that uh, the world is falling apart and nothing, uh, nothing can affect that or change that. Right now we're big in election season here, folks. You know, we're getting up close to November and all I get to hear on my TV are political ads, which make me want to shoot myself in the head. Yeah, it, it was kind of funny. Um, I think this was during this, the last Senate race in 2018. My mom was complaining about the, the political ads and I laughed at her and I said, well, guess what? Georgia's a swing state. You're going to hear them for the rest of your life. Yes, you will. Rest of your life, all the time. And then they always have runoffs, which is the best, Bob. You get one extra month of political ads that the other states don't. You know who you think for the runoffs, Matt? No, Bob. Who, who do I think? The Libertarians. Oh, the Libertarians. I think that's one of the main reasons that the two Georgia Senate races went to runoffs is yet yet enough Libertarian votes that kept the Republicans from getting an outright win. All right, Bob. Enough political talk. Let's get back to Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. I, I did really enjoy the line. Maybe my favorite line of the uh, the season. Tindy yelling, Rutherford, stop being impressed with the thing that's stealing our jobs. Yeah, this is a real problem, Bob, because sometimes I am impressed by, like, automation. And I'm like, oh, that's way smoother. That's way easier. But then I'm like, shit, what are the humans going to do? What am I going to do one day? <laughs> you see, it, in contrast, whenever a student asks me to record a lecture... Matt, I laugh at them and I say, no, I'm not helping them automate my job. There you go. And see, my, my biggest concern with teaching is one day we're just going to like let all the kids either stay home and be taught by like one person through a computer with like each, yep. each teacher will have like a million kids in their class on yep. the computer. Yep. Or they're going to have a lot of like underlings, like watching the children at a location. Teaching assistants, if you will. Yeah. Well, a teacher pipes in through a screen. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah. Nope, that's totally where it's going. That is completely yeah. where it's going. I'm hoping that I'm, I'm retired by the time that does occur. Yeah, I like people in the labor movement like to say you can't automate um, health care and education jobs. And it's like, no, you totally can. And they totally will. <laughs> like, yeah. I think they I think it will happen slower than like, you know, than like factory production jobs. But it totally is happening and it's in the process of happening. I'll be very slowly already. It will. It'll be much slower because, honestly, education is usually kind of like 10 years behind just due to the funding piece. So yeah. by the time all that automation occurs, you know, 10 years would have gone by when it really And there's, there's less of a profit motive in it, too. There is some profit motive, especially with all, like, all like the consulting companies and the lesson curricula design companies. But there's less of a profit motive than, in like, you know, say, building a car. Right. Yeah, that, that's very true. Although that is where all the money is at in the uh, curriculum development and popping out software that can just zoom into a kid's brain. Yeah, yeah, and that they, they totally retain nothing from. Yeah. Not that they retain much from anything, <laughs> if we're being honest, but, you know. So to, I, to go to back to the episode, although still sort of a political point. I, I, very political finale, Bob. Very political. Very, very political finale. <laughs> hey, man, when, when, they're, when they're taking our jobs, uh, that's political. They took uh, our jobs. They took our jobs. Uh, uh. But what was the name of the archaeologist? I can't find it. Is it like a Breeden? 
I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, Bob, I did not remember her name. And I'm kind of glad I didn't because apparently she's just a one-off character at this point. She was in the last episode, and then she's in this episode, and then it seems like that whole thing's over with. Yeah, yeah. Remember, we, orig- we originally thought maybe this would carry on into like the next oh, season. No, 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 no. No. I didn't think it would. I said I wished it would. You wished would, it would, but I, yes, you I wished. Was, I was pretty sure that it was going to either end uh, in the finale or in at latest in the season four premiere. And so... I would like to do a little end zone dance that I was right about that and you were wrong about Strange New Worlds crossing over this season. Yes, I was very upset about that because I then I found out that you were also correct again, Bob, that it will be next season because I, I don't know. I guess you understand how animation is produced better than I do. I just thought they colored some pages and then moved on. <laughs> Apparently there's more to it. Yeah, I, I finally found it. A Bearden, I, I guess, although... I swear to God, it's never said in either episode. I don't think it is either. And honestly, she's, I don't think we'll ever see her again. Or maybe she'll yeah. pop into some random-ass episode. I don't All know. right. Out of protest for this good subplot for Mariner being cut short, we'll just refer to her as the archaeologist, and I won't humiliate myself by trying to pronounce her name again. The ar- but, oh, Bob, uh, speaking of not being able to pronounce names, forgive me, listeners, the, the name of the Admiral, I struggle with that dude's name. So I'm just going to call him the Admiral. Oh, yeah. No, I can't do it either. The I main bad guy. Yeah. yeah, we'll just call let's just call him the Badmiral. The Badmiral, there you go. A fantastic Star Trek trope, by the way. Indeed, indeed. Very, very self-consciously used. I'll just quote the archaeologist who says uh, to Mariner, isn't that cute, pretending you have any concept of how money works? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you weren't raised, if you were raised in a cashless society or a moneyless society, like, you, you would have no idea what's going on. Although it is kind of interesting that this sort of posits like the soft suggestion here is that like while Starfleet is free of money, like other parts of the Federation aren't necessarily right, which is kind of interesting. I don't ultimately like it, but it's kind of interesting. Although I think the real reason is just that since she's an archeologist who kind of like works on the edges of things, you know, she would have more of a concept than like your average Federation citizen living on like Telluride or and or, or Vulcan, you know? All right, Bob, help me with my Indiana Jones here. Was that scene ripped from, Temple of Doom or Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Raiders of the Lost Ark because I, think I don't you're think right. there was any. Wasn't it a reference to the Swapperoo scene? Yeah, the Swapper. That's Raiders of the Lost yeah, Ark, right? That's Raiders okay. of the Lost Ark. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, they basically recreate that entire scene. I'm surprised you have to you had to come to me for that. I, I you know much I, more about that franchise. I don't. Re- no, I don't remember which one's which. Okay. Okay. I do that. Was the, it's the first Indiana Jones film. That's what I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Raiders totally, Lost Ark. Totally. Temple of Doom's <laughs> the one where the dude gets his face like flayed off, basically with a fire, right? Uh, yes, yes, yes. And then, the, the, of course, you have the Fantastic Sean Third Connery. film, which is my favorite. I, there's an argument, and I tend to agree that you can kind of see where George Lucas goes wrong, like in the Last Crusade. I love the Last Crusade. I could watch well, that all like, day, especially like that prequel scene where like, <laughs> that's, that was like, one of the best scenes ever. But yeah, you're right. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, all right, so you find out how he gets his whip, his hat, and his fear of snake all in fear of snakes all in one scene. Yeah, we got to know how that happens, Bob. It's mapped out right there for you. That's how the prequel started. I really didn't need to know any of those things. I yes, you just... did. You need to know. Where did he get that damn hat? Ah, why is he not like snakes? He fell in the snake pit on the train. It was pretty cool. I assume he uh, he got that hat from a store, Matt. That's what <laughs> you I just think he went and bought it, but that's not as interesting. He got it from a dude that kind of looks like Indiana Jones on, on a train car. All I'm saying is it's a straight shot from that to Darth Vader made C-3PO and R2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 
Let's just all, let's just all both agree, Bob, though, that whatever Indiana Jones four was called, like King of the Krusty Skull, or what is it called, King of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Kingdom of the Crystal yeah, Skull. Yeah, I, I like your King of the Krusty Skull. Yeah, it's both cool. more evocative and shorter. Yeah, whatever the hell it's called, that that was awful. But now there's a new one coming out, Bob. Oh, is that actually happening? Oh yeah, they've got uh, there's some footage, not footage, but like stills from it that you know. Oh god, he's coming back, was, Harrison Ford. I, I again. You know, <laughs> Before we started the stupid podcast, I wouldn't have watched that. But now I know you're going to make me watch it for the stupid. Podcast. Uh, I don't know. I ugh, I don't know. I might go, I oh. might see it. Although the only reason I want to go see it though is because I think they knew that Kingdom of the Crystal, whatever, that pissed a lot of people off. Your 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 joking name for it was better. King of the Crystal. King of the Krusty Skull is fine. I want this. I want whatever this new one is just to be the bookend. You know what I mean? Let's end Indiana Jones on this film. Whatever happens in it, even if it's. <laughs> completely stupid yeah oh man how stoned do you think harrison ford uh, is during the making of indiana jones 5 oh he's stoned as hell he's like yeah. he's like way out stoned oh man to reel it back in i do want to say that that was a pretty sick quartet of epaulets on the fleet captain uniform that they offered uh captain freeman yeah yeah you gotta love them epaulets bob so is your goal in terms of automation, Matt, to become the kind of Captain Freeman of the situation where you're overseeing all the robot drones? I would prefer that, yes. I would much rather be the overseer of the robots than to be like either the homeless guy because he lost his job with the robot for the robots or like I don't I don't want to like work on the robots. I just want to tell the robots what to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and let's be real here. None of us are actually going to be do the Captain Freeman thing and lead a revolt against the robots. So, oh no, no, <laughs> no, no. The robots are always going to win, folks. I'm sorry to tell you this. I I will say though, isn't it kind of stupid to like automate the second contact missions? Like, it seems like those require a little bit of human, you know, cultural interaction or like sapient cult cultural interaction with the aliens. Like, I mean, the combat or like surveying space, I could see, but I. I feel like you actually do kind of want a human to handle second contact. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing personable about it, Bob. But I will say this. If it is automated, there's less margin for any kind of error. And you're less likely to, if there are good things going on, it's less likely that your interference is going to disrupt it. And uh, third, holograms. I bet they just shoot down holograms and be like, hey, there's Catherine Janeway meeting the people for the second time. <laughs> Catherine Janeway teaches every class at Starfleet Academy. There Catherine Janeway. And yeah, she just goes and checks on. I was like, hey, I'm the Catherine Janeway hologram. What's up? Yeah, everything good? All right. Going back to my ship. And then it just turns off. Well, I guess we can say that uh, Dr. Tayana speaks for us all when she says, I didn't spend seven goddamn years in an Oberth class to become a station physician. <laughs> that is the best line of the show. And I will say this, Bob. The character's growing on me. That she does a lot with little, a lot with a little. Like you don't see her often, but when she is there, she's memorable. She's al she's always good for a wry and profane comment on yeah. the situation. Cat character's growing on me. Bird character I, still uh, he needs to go away. Which character? Bird character, counselor, Birdman. Even though I did like him last episode. He's supposed to be annoying. Yeah. Um. We also had a great Shaq's line where he confronts uh, Boimler and yells, so all Bajorans are the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to remain quiet on this one, Bob. I'm pretty sure you called me out on this before. <laughs> so uh, the second contact mission we see is to uh, Galador, I believe. And uh, they were mentioned uh, but not shown in that Maquis episode of DS9 that we covered for Babylon 5 versus DS9. I'd also note that it sounds pretty similar both to the homeworld of uh, the Time Lords and Doctor Who and to the home world of the Space Knights in Marvel. 
Yeah, I think this is like one of the very few DS9 references we get this episode. There was this and the whole Bajoran thing you mentioned a moment ago, but it didn't have a lot of DS9 references. Hmm. So one thing I kind of bemoaned was I was kind of hoping that the coding of the Alito would have more to do with Badgie than with like Rutherford's like old past. I, I find Badgie more interesting than the mystery of, you know, who programmed Rutherford. Yes, we do find out that the, you know, that Admiral we mentioned earlier, he is the one who was behind the whole Rutherford thing. But you remember when I thought it was going to be LaForge, Bob? I do remember. And yeah, you were wrong, Matt. And it's good that you take ownership of that fact for our listeners. Yeah, I really wish that uh, it would have been LaForge. That would have been cool, but no. However, you probably don't, I don't know if you caught this, Bob, because Mm -hmm. I didn't either. I had to like, I went on Reddit and people were like, oh, did you see this? There's a post credit scene. Yeah, which I initially didn't see because Paranaut Plus just tries to skip ahead to Voyager, and so I just turned it off. Exactly. Not out of any disrespect for Voyager, but just, you know, I, was, I wanted to yeah. go to bed. I was sleepy. Paramount um, Plus, you are not Disney. Quit with the post credit scenes because I, I do. I turn your show off once the credits come up because I've been trained that way watching Star Trek for 38 years, okay? Well, to me, like, <laughs> if, if they just let the credits roll, I might still, like, enjoy the theme music. But the fact that, like, Paramount Plus, at least in the, the way I have it set up, and I don't know how you can change it because it's not very, uh, not very, what would you call it? Um, intuitive? Yeah, intuitive. Thank you. Not very intuitive interface. It just immediately, like, tries to skip you to the next thing. Yeah, so it, it's very annoying. If they're going to do this shit, they've got to make sure they know. Or just put it at the end of the show. Like, why even, like... Just put it, anyway, it was tacked on at the end. We find out that Badgie is like in Rutherford's old uh, headset thing. Well, was that the was that the thing from the the ship that they just destroyed, or was that from something else? Something else, I believe. That was, remember like in the past, like there was something that happened and like Rutherford's, whatever he wears, like it was his old one. That one's the one that had Badgie inside of it. And okay. he had to like ditch it at one point. I don't remember when. Okay, that I, I just assumed they were picking it up from like the ruins of the Texas class ship. Okay, I mean it, it's, it's it's possible. I don't know. I don't know what they were going for there. No, All you're probably you're probably right. I just I just don't remember. But, a lot of people are thinking too that Badgie is going to uh, release all those rogue AIs mm, that we keep seeing. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes have sense. a big old like AI fest. Given that it was a green tractor beam pulling Badgie in, do you think that means it's the Borg? Oh, yes, and that would be really cool to see a Borg or a Badgie that has been assimilated by the Borg. What yeah. what what if instead, Matt, it was the Borg who became Badgieified? Oh, clever. See where you're going with that. I do want to make a prediction, though, Bob, that we find out that Badgie is the reason all the AI go crazy on Mars at the beginning of Picard. Uh, Based on the timeline, it could happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I like, I like. Uh, that would do. That would be the only thing that would make that early uh, that Picard short trek interesting to me because that was a terrible short trek. <laughs> I do want to say, speaking of people being behind things, Matt, very funny that Picard is behind the Archaeology Guild. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is his thing. Him and uh, what was that girl's name? Vosh, Vash, 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 Vashy. Vash. Yeah, that girl. Yeah. Yeah, it's also kind of amusing that the archaeologist that Mariner is hanging with, she previously served on the Victory, which was the ship LaForge was on before he joined the Enterprise. Yeah, a lot of little Easter eggs here, like Star Trek lore and stuff you have to like. I, see, I don't know those kind of things. Yeah. So I appreciate the internet for helping me out with this. 
And for you, Bob. I didn't need the fucking internet for that. Yeah, you did. You looked that shit up. <laughs> no, I did. I totally did not. Bob just knew it off the top of his head. Gordon LaForge previously served on the victory. Those brain cells cannot be used for anything else. <laughs> I needed the internet for the Thelosian thing. And I clearly needed the internet to remind me what was going on in the post credit scene. Because I didn't know. <laughs> But, like, no, knowing, knowing that the green beam was probably Borg and knowing that LaForge was on the victory. I know these things. Yeah. So I was we get, a you know, an amazing climactic moment of joy for Shax when he gets to uh, finally go through with the plan he always suggests and eject the warp core to blow it up. And, you know, in his ecstasy at getting to eject the warp core, I kind of half expected him to die again, to be honest. Yeah, I, I didn't feel that way. I didn't think he was going to die. He was just having like the moment of his life ejecting the warp core. But my thought was it was not going to work, period. Like They were going to eject the warp core, and it was yeah. going to completely miss the ships. <laughs> that that would have been very funny. That would have been very and then, funny. And then he just goes back to feeling like a failure. So I will say that this episode very, very much feels like the season one finale, very consciously so including like the deus ex machina rescue at the end. And honestly, I have to say, I would have rather they just brought the Titan back again than having the entire California class show up. This is their favorite way to end a season, Bob. This is how Picard season one ended, correct? Yeah, and granted, this was much much better executed. (laughs) And it was the way season one of Lower Decks ended. And then several episodes between have had the same thing. Probably, probably Discovery did some equivalent of it. Oh, it did at the end of season two when the, yes. the queen from the stupid short track shows up. Yep. So this is their favorite thing to do now because it gets a lot of ships on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this, Bob. Did you enjoy all those California class uh, names, the city names? N- no, Matt. I felt like the Hollywood liberal writers were just jerking off on screen and I didn't care for it. They were just picking their hometowns and like places they liked. <laughs> I, I say this as, you know, what some people would incorrectly call a liberal, not a liberal, but some people would call me a liberal. I say this as uh, what some people would call a liberal a coastal elitist, you know, because I live on the West Coast, too. And I look down on real America that you're from, Matt. I fucking hate California. I don't want to hear about your California names. California. Well, Bob, I have to say this. The Texas names were hilarious as well. But here's my here's my hope. I'm hoping that the Texas class eventually gets retrofitted with a human crew. OK, they take some of those ships retrofit them, make them better. I want the USS Arlen, commandeered by Captain Hank Hill. Make it happen. I can live with that. My name is Hank Hill. (laughs) Yeah, Officer Bobby. (laughs) I I can deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Communications Officer Boomhauer. Boom. (laughs) Oh, brilliant, brilliant. They'll bring back the communication officer's job just for Boomhauer. Love it, love it. Speaking of new crew, didn't they tease Talyn joining the crew last season? Well, why, why did she not show up this whole season? Why are they teasing her again? Will they actually do it in season four? Will this just become a recurring joke where in every season finale she shows up like she's about to join the crew? If this doesn't become a re- recurring joke, then I don't know what this is supposed to be. I thought I was having deja vu at first, and I thought I'd made up the original thing, but then I was like, no, I I specifically remember this because Bob and I talked about it on the podcast. We were all excited because we had a Vulcan crew member coming on, and we're like, oh, that's going to be an interesting dynamic between uh, Freeman and all these other people on the board. Then she never showed up, and I just forgot about her, and now we're back here, same spot. I, I think it's a joke. I hope it's a joke. I, to- I totally forgot about it, too, but I actually do want her to join the crew just because, I mean, I like this season, you know, 
but I do feel like it's getting a little bit in a rut, like just the show in general, like its formula is a little too well established and adding a fifth person to the Fantastic Four would throw the throw the dynamic off a little and I think that would be good. Well, see, I thought, too, that Freeman's girlfriend, not the architect, but, like, uh, I can't think of her name. Jen, the Andorian. Yeah, Jen the Andorian. I thought Jen the Andorian may kind of fill that role and make things a little different, but she didn't. She but was also hardly, hardly in the season. Right, she's in one episode where she kind of plays a, a, a larger role in everything and everything else. And maybe just, she and Mariner yeah. are broken up after the penultimate episode of the season, although also maybe they're just going to kind of slide back into it. Because the, the show, I wouldn't be surprised if the show did that, too, you know? Yeah. Well, in the scene where Mariner comes back and is like hugging uh, her mother in the ten forward or whatever, you mm-hmm. see Jen in the background, just kind of giving her this look, like she's glad she's there, but you know, deep down, she still has feelings for her. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll yeah. see. I guess yeah. we'll see. It, it would be kind of interesting. I don't know if the show actually wants to do that direct go that direction, but it's like Mariner holds no grudges against anyone but her girlfriend, right? Yeah, or her ex girlfriend at this point. Um, so I do have one nitpick about the show, Matt. It's a bear sleuth, not a bear pack. Yeah. Uh, it is, but I'm not sure how you know that. You know, a lot of weird shit, apparently. In fairness, I knew I had, I needed the internet for this because I thought it was a bear parliament, but no, it's a parliament <laughs> of owls and it's a sleuth of bears and it's a pack of wolves. A sleuth of bears. Sleep I mean, if you there. say that, you're probably going to get beat up by somebody, so I wouldn't go around saying it. But <laughs> Matt, nobody in Seattle can beat me up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> For the listeners at home, Bob's like eight feet tall. Did I, did I ever tell you the story about the time I went to an, a, a wedding in the islands up here? No. I drank way too much. Like, somebody passed me a weed soda, and I thought it was um, just a normal beer, and I like killed it. And that's way too much, way too quick. And so I was like really, really fucking stoned. And I was, I usually don't get paranoid when I have weed. I also don't really like weed, so I don't have much of it. But I was super fucking paranoid. And it was like, I had to leave the wedding reception because I thought like everybody in the, everybody in the reception was conspiring against me. And (laughs) so I was just walking around the town on the island and I kept I kept being afraid I was being followed by the police. So I was like walking frantically around the town, always looking over my shoulder. And I did this for like 30, 40 minutes. And the only thing that calmed me down was I realized, wait, this is a small island and a shitty little town. If I do go to jail, I'll probably be the hardest person there. (laughs) Way to go, Bob. Way to have that built in. You're kind of like Batman, Bob. That's your Zuran Thaw or whatever Zuran Ha. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you took on that personality when you when you drank the weed drink. <laughs> oh man! Speaking of Zuran Ha, have you been reading the new Batman issues? No. For the listeners, Zuran Thaw They're is like really Batman's. Uh, in his brain, he has this idea of like if he's ever if his body's ever taken over. He can magically like yeah, become that, this other ego, other Batman that's a little more like ferocious and wild. The idea sounds dumb, but just read Batman R.I.P. It's really good. Yes, it's very easy to understand if you read that that one thing. Now, if you go back and try to read like when he originally became Zorinth or whatever. Oh it's, yeah, don't it's worry awful. about that. Don't worry. But about but that. read Batman Rest in Peace and you'll understand it. It's really cool. It's like 
mind programming is what it is. They're bringing back Batman and Zara and I in the current comics because Chip Zdarsky just took over. And it's terrible. I hate it. And I think Chip Zdarsky is a pretty good writer. But I hate what he's doing <laughs> with Batman Zara and I. He's basically just turning him into Ultron. It's so bad. Oh, God. So, like, he, like, if he needs, like, uh... If he can't handle his regular Batman, he becomes Zurenthal. Like he, like he does it himself. Well, no, it's like it's like it's kind of like a cross between like you remember the OMAC project from the two thousands. Yes. It's like what if you what if you had like Batman Zurenthal versus the OMAC project? Basically, it's really oh, okay. bad. It sucks so much. The idea though behind the whole Zurenthal thing is, I think in R in RIP, didn't he like a. Uh, get injected with heroin or something and that's what caused him to go insane oh I, it wasn't just heroin it was like uh i believe they described it as something like weapons grade heroin and crystal meth yeah yeah <laughs> it's batman on drugs pretty cool all right well and also do you remember the you remember what zorana actually means oh i used to uh, it's the last it's one of the last Zorro. things thomas wayne it's yeah it's one of the last things that thomas wayne says to bruce before he dies which is if zoro were real they would lock him up Lock him up in Arkham. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Zorro in Arkham, yeah. Yeah, fucking great, man. I love yeah, Batman R.I.P. so much. <laughs> brilliant. All right, so back off that tangent. We've, we've gone political tangents, Batman tangents. Now I wish we could just go on a tangent altogether, Bob, because you had me watch Prodigy. I'm sorry, Matt. I, I, it's, look, it's not that I hate you. It's just that I hate myself and I project it out on you. I mean, previous episodes, Bob, we have talked about how much Prodigy sucks, and you made me watch, like, the first eight episodes... So I was a little worried. I was like, I hadn't watched 9 and 10, but then... Yeah, would you be lost? I was not lost. I could keep up. Thank God I kept up with the children's show. I was hoping for a previously on, but did not get it. Hey, I, I didn't I didn't need more time to this episode. <laughs> All right, Bob. So the name of the episode is Asylum. Yes, and, and in the A plot, what do the children do, Matt? They request Asylum, Bob. How about in the B-plot, Matt? What happens up in that old B-plot? In the B-plot, we have real Janeway, quest for Chekete, but finds Emperor Palpatine instead. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. I will say that for a minute when I was watching this, I thought they had changed the opening, but no one cares what we think, and they kept the same crappy opening. Yeah, you watched the opening. I skipped that motherfucker. <laughs> you were right. I was wrong. What do you want, what do you want me to say? I, I'm not giving time for that, Bob. Not giving time for yeah. that opening. Fair, fair. So early on when they're doing the rescue on the water planet, Matt, would you say it was more Aquaman 2 or Avatar 2? I don't know. Well, these are really strange new worlds. You horror, should feel bad horror. for saying that. You should feel bad. <laughs> so, Matt, did you forget how much you hate their stupid boy captain? Because I'd forgotten how much I hate their stupid boy captain on this okay. show. As I'm watching this, I forgot how much I hate, not, I just hate this show. But I, I hate how the voiceovers are pure Nickelodeon. They're extremely loud and kind of obnoxious sounding. They sound like cartoon. They like legit sound like cartoon characters. I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Other than this that. is the aesthetic for every Nickelodeon show. I'm sure it is. Yes, it's just very loud voices. Yeah, not time. that I'm like ever inclined to go back and watch it, but I'm sure like stuff like Regrets is just in Arnold's world. It's just unwatchable. Some of the stuff, some of those cartoons we grew up with, though, Bob, a lot of those aren't as, like, they haven't, some of them haven't aged well, but, like, if you check out our other podcast, you know, X-Men Animated Series, 
it's 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 okay. It's it, it it's not amazing. It has it's got some good parts, bad parts. I think these Nickelodeon cartoons would be the same way if we revisit them, but we're not going to revisit Nickelodeon cartoons, Bob. No, hell no, man. I'm going to shoot myself if we do that. No, no, <laughs> I like look. I hate myself, Matt, but I don't hate myself yeah. that much. Next week we'll be covering Doug, episode three. See. <laughs> <laughs> forgotten about Doug until you said his name it was just like I shivered when you said it I'd watch okay. more I'd watch Doug for 24 hours a day seven days a week before I watch this show again I'm going to keep watching this show just because it's a point of pride I want to have seen everything called Star Trek but oh my god damn I just to run down the timeline because we've said these things before but we always forget the new Star Trek comic we're about to talk about 2378 Nemesis the movie 2379, the Lower Decks finale 20 season three that we just talked about 2381, the Prodigy midseason premiere 2384, the Picard pilot 2399, Disco shows up in 3188. Just so we're clear on the timeline. Nice. And like I said, Bob, my Badgie theory fits right in there. Come on, do it. Make Badgie the reason the AI go crazy. And I even read the book that went with Picard, and they may have explained why the AI went rogue. But eh. did did you like Retcon that book? It. I read the first. I read the first one. I don't remember enough about it. I know like the, the I know the the gist of the plot, but <laughs> someone someone praised that book to me. I can't remember if it was you or someone. It was, else, it was, was me. Little, it was probably me. It was, it was it's you. a fun. It's a fun read. It's not anything amazing. Fun read. I did not read the one with uh, Riker and Troy though. I think there was another uh, sequel or another prequel. Uh, uh, speaking of deep cuts from Star Trek history, we do find out that Murph, the little slime thing, is apparently a melanoid slime worm, uh, which honestly sounds a little bit racist, and maybe they should have <laughs> called it something else. But apparently it's an insult that someone called Wesley Crusher in The Next Generation. Yeah, I would not be surprised to see Murph morph into Wesley Crusher as the Traveler, and they're going to start making like Wesley Crusher, Star Trek's Nick Fury. like. I'll, I'll just say this. If Wesley Crusher has to come back, I want him to come back in this and not in Picard Season 3. Well, what, what if... Uh, who was the character in Picard Season 2 that we uh, that he took under his wing? Oh, uh, the the android girl played yeah. by the same... Yeah, yeah. Soji is her name in the t- present, but it, I, it wasn't her name in the past. What if the slime worm turns into Wesley Crusher and then like brings in like uh, the Brickar or uh, that main captain guy into the live-action stuff? <laughs> Well, and then to reference the Green Lantern episode that we're going to drop pretty soon, uh, he then uh, then dives into uh, the poor android girl, kind of like Parallax dives into Hal Jordan in that movie. <laughs> yeah. This, I'm just telling you, he, they're going to call their thing something weird. Like they'll, they'll call themselves Section 31 or some bullshit. You know? Oh, God. Kill me. It's going to be great. So another deep cut that they teased on the show, and I kind of wish they'd just gone with, is uh, they teased if the stupid boy captain is a Talaxian, which he should be, since, like Neelix, he's the worst. Yeah, he's missing a chunk of his ear, and he hugs a hologram at one point. Uh, that's really all I really got from that guy. That, that's all That's all big Talaxian behavior, I think. Yeah, seems like it. Did he have a rat tail in the previous episodes? I'm pretty sure he did, but I couldn't swear to it. Yeah, this is the first time I saw the rat tail, so I was like, eh. I get Talaxians don't seem like somebody I want to hang out with. Yeah, no, just the worst. The worst. Stay clear of Talaxians. But uh, so, I will say this, though. He makes them go through a biometric scan, like when they do get to this base or whatever. Yeah, the Starfleet officer. And that's the same name of the shit that I have to get done, like, so I can get $100 back from my insurance. You know, welcome to America. 
They're like, get your biometric scan in. Nice. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the bit about there being 196 branches of science. That made me laugh. Yeah, like, that's that's way too many. Way uh, too many. I mean, you know, you go to, you go to thousands of worlds, you're going to have, you know, at least hundreds of sciences. So one of the few positives I have for this show, Bob, is that it was a little more Star Trek than Star Wars this episode. You know, even if they did try to drown the Mary J character in a back to take. Yeah, I mean, I think the show has slowly transitioned into trying to be more of a Star Trek show. It's still terrible, and it still has a lot of Star Wars elements. And I'm glad you did point out that they were trying to drown Mara Jade into a back-to-tank, because that was also my thought when it came on screen. I just forgot to put it in the notes. Yeah, they're getting, like, notes from uh, Book of Boba Fett there. So, the animation, when you see Janeway, like, real Janeway and Chekotay... Chicote, man. Chicote. God. Chicote. 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 There's no, there's no E. Yeah. All right. Why can't they? Why can't they just make a normal show in that style, like just a regular like Star Trek cartoon, but in that style? I don't know. I mean, it just goes back to our old debate about this show. Like, is this show gonna hook the children as like a gateway drug on the Star Trek franchise? I have my, I have my doubts. Yeah, because to me, like the animation in Lower Decks, I like it. I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of like cutesy, but fits like whatever you know the style of the show. But if you were gonna do like a serious show, that's the kind of animation you would use. And I think it look, I think it would look great. And you could bring in all the vo- all the actors from the previous shows, and they would look the way they're supposed to. I don't, I don't like. I would watch it, but it's not my preferred style. It's a little too uncanny valley. Gotcha. To me, it looked a little bit like Clone Wars too. Yeah, it would. Yeah, which I also is not a selling point to me, or the, right. or the Green Lantern animated series, or that very CGI uh, Beware the Batman series. Although I did actually like the Be- the Beware the Batman series. Yeah. Well, towards the end of this episode, Bob, uh, we find out that you know they all get in a spacesuit. New Trek loves a spacesuit. Uh, Wouldn't be New Trek if it, there wasn't a spacesuit, Matt. Yeah, but thankfully they had one that fit that Bricar because that that Bricar is a uh, a big old big old beast. Yeah. Well, in conclusion, Matt, I just want to say uh, this show sucks. It's worse than Enterprise. It may even be worse than the JJ movies, which is saying a lot coming from me. And uh, we're not going to cover it week to week. Although if there's anything as cringe as the holodeck episode, I may I may have you watch it just so we can talk about it. Well, Bob, as you know, I do work with children. And let me just say that it's really amazing to see all these kids wearing these Star Trek outfits and acting like their favorite characters from Prodigy at school. It's really cool. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm sure that happens all the time, Doug. Bob, it's never happened. <laughs> they're what, playing what? fucking Fortnite. <laughs> I don't give a shit about Prodigy. <laughs> they're, doing, they're, do, they're doing Twitch dances. They're making TikTok. They're not, they're not, yeah, they're, they're, are, they're, are, they're not. Are they still doing the floss dance, or is that like two years old at this point? <laughs> That's like 10 years old, Bob. <laughs> uh-huh. You're so hip, Bob. Every, every, every kid thinks they're going to be a TikTok star. Yeah. It's uh, kind of psychotic. Yeah. I wish they would just want to be starship captains, but no. I don't know if that would actually be any better. I mean, I like, do need to go by, I need to at least go by a store and see if there are any, any costumes for Prodigy. Like, even like one. Because I'll, I'll just be curious. I have to go by Target later today. I don't think they would do costumes. I think action figures are more likely. Oh no, they'll do. They always do action figures. I'm just talking about sometimes with kids shows. Though Nickelodeon pumps out everything. They they might pump oh, really? out a yeah, okay. a costume of somebody. I have to Google that too. I could just Google it and so actually go to the store and dig in the Halloween costumes like a weirdo. 
All right. So I guess the last <laughs> thing we're going we're gonna to cover, Star Trek number one. You want to tell us what happens in the A-plot of Star Trek number one, the new IDW issue, Matt? That's right, Bob. Cisco returns. Here's where we no, get our Cisco yeah, return. You're, you're already messing, messing it up. It's the Cisco returns. The Cisco returns, yes. The Cisco returns, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, had you ever heard of these writers before, Lanzig and Kelly? No, not not at all. They did a Kang the Conqueror mini that you know, like came out around Loki, I guess, because I guess Kang was in Loki. Uh, I didn't. I read the mini. I didn't care for it. Kang the Conqueror, B level Thanos. All right, so I'm going to make a connection on page one that you're going to laugh at me for. Yeah. I kind of thought they were trolling Babylon Five a little bit with like the references to the Cisco like walking in light and shadow. Yeah, they probably were. Just oh, little... oh you're, you're going for my reach. That's a first. I, I think they may have been, Bob. Even though the light and shadow thing, I mean, that's... I'm sure that's been used before somewhere else, before B5, right? Yeah, but like, <laughs> there's something about the... It was something about the phrasing of it made it feel very Babylon 5. Yeah. Comparing light and darkness, I, I don't think that's a, that's a, hey, that's hey, a new light territory. And light, 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 light yeah, and shadow. Whatever. <laughs> So on page two, um, we have uh, the Cisco kind of spreading out his arms, kind of like Leonardo da Vinci, Vesuvian man style. And I just want to say that I feel like they really missed an opportunity here to have the Cisco hang dong. Yeah, I, I, they're not going to do that. They showed Batman's dick one time in a comic book, and like it, it literally uh, it, it broke the internet for a select group of people. <laughs> I still think that was funny and good and that everybody who was freaking out about it was is a fucking moron. I just want to be <laughs> saying that. They should it should just be like it should be every issue just has somebody's dong in it. That should be like part of the comics code. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We're trying to get people used to it. Normalize hanging dong, man. That's what that's what Game of Thrones should be doing. Yeah, Game of Thrones did. Uh, they did have a dude's ass at one scene. I will say that, and the Green not, Lantern not. cartoon we covered. Uh, we're covering soon. It, it has Hal Jordan's ass. So get ready, folks. Male nudity in cartoons is coming around. It's no. It's no Dick Grayson ass, but you know, it'll, it'll do. It'll do. So uh, Matt, did you read the Jake Cisco uh, story on page three? Because I sure did. I did. It was okay. It was a sucker. I did feel like I was being called out on page four when Jake is complaining to Kira about how no one is publishing his story. And it was like, that's like me, Jake. I'm not going to read your shit. Yeah, nobody's reading newspapers or reading whatever news articles and whatever year you told us this was. I, do, I did think that like this issue kind of continuing the trope that we saw in the DS9 episode, The Visitor, where Jake is just always hanging around the space station waiting for his dad. I thought it was kind of shitty. I, I well, still yeah, it was like supposed to be. I mean, it was supposed to be this almost the same situation. Like you felt like he put you right back there in that episode. Yeah, but like I, I continue to go back to my issue with the visitor, which is like the the comic and the show want me to think it's like sweet and good, and I think it's just kind of sad and weird. I think I had a different uh, opinion on that, but I don't remember what it was. Speaking of uh, a family strain, on uh, page eight, the Cisco straight up stands up Cassidy Yates, leaves the station before she and her daughter can get back to it. Yeah, they're going to show up and he's going to be gone. What an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Classic Cisco. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did you like the visual reference to the first episode of DS9 with Picard sitting at the desk on page nine, Matt? I felt like they were revisiting so much from Deep Space Nine in the first couple of pages. And they got, I mean, I think they hit most of the points they needed to. 
they yeah. reunited with Kira, reunited with Jake. We learned what happened to Cassie, and that she had, you know, the, the daughter is still out there. And he's confronting Picard again, but not, you know, as hostile as he was in The Emissary. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of framed as, like, now Cisco can kind of understand Picard because he was assimilated by the prophets like Picard was assimilated by the Borg. Correct. And uh, so Picard agrees to help uh, Cisco, but he, he says that he has to take Data along with him as his first officer. Big page reveal of Data and Spot. Everyone loves Data. Data's the go-to character. He's on every thing Star Trek. As, as we mentioned before, we're only a year before his death, too. Yeah. Data's so hot right now. Data's just hot. He's beating Jeez. out Worf. So, Matt, did you think uh, on page 14 that uh, the Theseus looks like shit? Because I thought it looked like shit. Yeah, and then I, I did, you did know, you put in the notes that it was a disco class, and I thought the same thing when I was like, oh, look at there, disco class. <laughs> Again, I, hating on Discovery is too easy, and it does have its virtues, but man, the, the design of the Discovery, the ship, is shitty. Yeah, they could do better. They could make it, yeah. they could do something different, too. Calling it the, the, uh, the Theseus is like, Theseus. There's just so many. Am I saying that correctly? You know how Theseus. I say Theseus. <laughs> Calling it the Theseus, you think that would have something like completely different going for it, since it needs to be like constantly rebuilt or it's been rebuilt so many times. Like I, I just want to. Well, I want something, I think some, the, something cool I think added to it. The goal here was they wanted to reference every Star Trek show, which, granted, they didn't fully pull off because they didn't have Enterprise, Lower Decks, or Strange New Worlds or Prodigy oh. references that I I picked up on. But that this was a way for them to at least have a discovery reference. It's a metaphor. I get it now. It's not a metaphor. It's just an illusion. It's figurative language. No, it's not figurative language. Damn it's it! An illusion. My high school language degree or whatever I have. Is you mean a a diploma? <laughs> yeah, my sorry. That's right. My high school diploma is just not working out here, Bob. Sorry. Trying, uh, trying here. I'm trying to use my words. <laughs> So we do, uh, since one of the things that we both noticed, right, was that Lanzig and Kelly are kind of doing like a Jonathan Hickman impersonation here. You know, the guy who until recently was running the X-Men line and is kind of famous for incorporating like text pieces and charts and graphs and chronologies in his comics. And so we see that here where we get like the service record for the Theseus on page 16. Uh, apparently it made first contact with the Zinkethi, another DS9 reference. Uh, it was involved in the first movie, Star Trek The Motion Picture, and it was rebuilt by Scotty, kind of spoiling the reveal of Scotty a couple pages later. Yeah, let me just say, uh, lots of uh, lots of history here with this ship. It's going to be badass. So, Matt, apparently the comic expected us to care when Paris and Crusher show up. I, I didn't, did you? I really didn't. Those are the other two go-to characters. Everybody loves Tom Paris, everybody loves, everybody loves Beverly Crusher. Just throw them in there. Get them in there. Yeah, I, I don't really read the IDW Star Trek comics, but I kind of get the impression that they really like to do these like cross series crossovers. Like I think they did a Doctor mini a Doctor's mini series. Not I think IDW is secretly funded by Disney, and like uh, they just like this is what they like to do. It's like Mickey Mouse with a fucking cigar sitting there, like, all right, who are we not sitting in a while? Tom Paris, get him on there. 
Well, Kel- Kelly and Lansing also, uh, I think, are writing Captain America for Marvel right now. Yeah. So they're like, a, you know, over there, they're like, Winter Soldier. Hadn't seen that guy in a while. Throw him a bone. Get him in there now. <laughs> People love the Winter Soldier. So, Matt, were you kind of surprised on like page 25 where all we saw on the shuttle going over to the Theseus was Data and um, Cisco? Or, sorry, the Cisco. But then Jake is just all of a sudden on board the ship. I was a little surprised. Yeah, Jake just gets puts himself where he wants to. He's over there. I mean, maybe he went on an earlier shuttle. Yeah, yeah. And then the last big point <laughs> is that apparently that this is going to be a cr- some sort of crossover of all the god entities from Star Trek. So like we, you know, we have the crystalline entity and the prophets. We have mentions of Q and Trelane and Apollo. So. Apparently, it's going to be some sort of like War of the Gods style crossover, I guess. War of the Gods. Cisco's a god now. He's going to be a badass. So, Matt, I have a, I have a, I have a hostile question for you. Why did you make me read this shit? I don't know, but I think Cisco is going to turn to Ares. It's going to be awesome. Oh God, that's isn't that God of War, not War of the Gods? I don't know what's going to happen, Bob. But you know, it's a comic book. You only had to read it. it probably took you like what five minutes, maybe. I, that's being generous. Yeah, you made me watch Prodigy for twenty, so we're even. Hey, man, I yeah, you know, I I wanted to hurt you and our listeners. That was my goal. So, Bob, character of the week for this week, we've got three things to choose from. I'm gonna go with that short ball guy on the station who had no issue leaving the stupid Prodigy characters to die. I didn't I didn't catch his name. I don't really care, but that's gonna be Cheat my Halloween hero. costume. Cheat, pimp. Yeah, that's gonna be my Halloween costume. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, I'll give it to Tindy for uttering what was maybe the best line of the entire series. All right, then. And then for episode of the week, Matt? Well, Bob, gotta go with Stars at Night. Good old Stars at Night. Yeah, you undersold Stars at Night to me, which kind of helped me like it more. But, I mean, I was always going to like it better than Prodigy or the comic. That was just inevitable. Uh, it's, such, it's such an underwhelming finale, Bob. It is just underwhelming. It does very much feel like a a pretty much exact cover of the season one finale. Yep, that's how I felt as well. All right. Overall, so would you say season three has been the weakest season of Lower Decks overall? Well, are we doing a season recap, Bob? We can do a quick one. Yeah, we could do that. So we'll we'll save that, Bob, because i got to go back and look at some stuff. Go back and review the notes. Okay. okay. Check out my sources on, on the computer. (laughs) <laughs> I, will, I will put together I will put together notes for season three recap next week, Matt. Fantastic, Bob. All right then. So this has been our bonus episode coverage of Star Trek Lower Decks, Star Trek Prodigy, and Star Trek Number One. Don't expect more bonus coverage of Star Trek Prodigy or Star Trek the IDW series unless something stupid happens. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We are Uncanny Treks. Check us out on Patreon for X-Men 92 versus Young Justice, which I promise you is better than this episode. And we will be back on that Babylon 5 versus DS9 grind soon. We promise. Peace. I'm not making you any promises. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>